The company owns its brand, but the public owns its reputation. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Did you know that you can bring ideas from Mind Valley into your business? If you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans, you can discover Mind Valley's business offerings so you can bring personal and professional growth to the entire company. If you are the owner of a company, you know that if you invest in your employees' engagement, happiness, and learning, it'll help the bottom line and impact the business positively. And if you wish your company was bringing these kinds of products from Mind Valley Quests, Mind Valley Mentoring, and all the learnings to be a complete high-performance individual in every area of your life, then you definitely want to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans to see how we can get started with working with you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Jason Campbell. And we're going to talk about something that's very relevant for companies, particularly in these times where so many changes are happening. We are in the middle of the COVID-19 situation around the world. And really what we want to do is understand what are the things we need to communicate in these critical moments? And so in the process, we are working from home. If you are hearing any background noises from my end is because we cannot even go to a studio to record these podcasts, but instead we're doing the best with what we have. And a lot of companies right now are reacting to how the restrictions from governments, from countries are affecting their businesses. But there's a lot of things that you need to be able to deal with, whether it's communicating with employees, communicating with outside stakeholders, clients. What are you supposed to do when everything is changing and you might be even someone with not all the answers? We're going to go and demystify a lot of these things that you need to know when it comes to these critical moments and managing your reputation. And the guest, Bill Coletti, is a reputation management strategist and speaker. He has worked with Fortune 500 companies around the world, such as the AT&T Corporation, American Airlines, Home Depot, Xerox, and Nuclear Energy Institute, which all of them have obviously faced many issues where they need to manage their reputation. And we don't seem to always know the right steps to take. And we're really going to be demystifying this because his best-selling book, Critical Moments, The New Mindset of reputation management really lays out the framework that most company needs to know and you're about to get a taste here. So Bill Coletti, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Jason, it's awesome to be here with Mind Valley. So I'm looking forward to a great conversation and it is very, very timely. So thank you. Where does reputation management come in? What is reputation management? There's a lot of definitions. There's kind of a very academic definition, which is the sum and the substance of the public's recognition of a company over time based on their social, financial, and the way they treat their employees. So that's one definition of reputation. Seth Godin says it's the expectation of what you're going to say, do, or produce next. And the way I talk about it is that a company owns its brand, but the public owns its reputation. And so while I may not be a customer of BP, the oil company, I do have a view of their reputation because of the things they've done in society for over the long term. And so that sort of shapes our reputation. So companies can control the levers of brand, but it's the public that directly impacts their reputation. 
And that's really interesting because it makes me think, well, if the public owns the reputation, am I powerless to even do anything about it? Should I be doing something about it? What's the play here? Because I have heard some people that say in PR, when there's negativity, you should just ignore it. And I don't feel like that's a good or bad. So perhaps you can shine a bit more light here, Bill. Yeah. So it's a terrific question. And it's one of the questions we get asked a lot by the leaders that we work with. We do crisis communications. That's really where we were born as a firm. And my career has been in crisis communications. We have evolved because most thinking about reputation is born in crisis. So I'd finished an engagement with a CEO, a female CEO, an amazing leader in New York. And she and I were debriefing over what just happened. And her quote to me was, well, that sucked. Let's never do that again. And so that's where we started the conversation. And so I was in this vision of trying to articulate a model of actually how can you manage a reputation? And if you're a student of Drucker or a student of Porter or a student of any of these great business thinkers, there's a model, there's a management model for just about every discipline within corporations from HR, legal, operations, janitorial, you name it. There's a model on how to sort of do it in a more efficient way. And what we tried to do in the Critical Moments book is to articulate a model. And so as she and I were dialoguing, I was quite frankly very poor in my articulation of what I was trying to explain about reputation management. And she pushed back on me and basically said, you need to give me something like the four P's of marketing. And Jason, I don't know if you're familiar with the four P's, but it's an old saw from the 60s. It's price, product, place, promotion. And it defined the marketing mix. And and we can debate in the age of digital and social if it's still relevant. I think it is. It's basically price, product, place, promotion. It's the marketing mix and it's very, very, very durable model. And so with that, I went back and sort of created this notion of the four A's of reputation management, because for anything in a corporation to work, anything for a corporation to be meaningful, you have to be able to do two things. You've got to be able to assign staff to it, and you then have to be assigned budget to it. And so anything within a corporation that gets managed has to have those two critical components to it. And then you fit in vision and objectives and whatnot. And so we created the four A's of reputation management as a means to try to articulate that vision so that leaders can actually begin to define it. And I love that we're going to dive into that model a little bit later on. And I wanted to kind of define a bit of what are the differences when it comes to reputation management in times of crises, like right now, we're in the middle of this COVID-19. Is there a different approach that you're supposed to take when you're in the moment of a major shift? in the world? Or is it only something when, let's say, you quote unquote mess up as an organization that you're trying to clean the oil spill, if we're using the BP example? Or is this something that you should be doing in advance? Can you walk us through the differences here? It's interesting. So we sort of describe it, as I mentioned before, crisis is sort of the birthplace of most people's thinking about reputation, either our own company crisis, a crisis of someone adjacent to me, maybe a peer or a competitor, or just a big strategic thought that we know that crisis is inevitable because we read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, we read any sort of major publication, so we know it's inevitable. So one of those three starting points is how people come to the notion of thinking about reputation management. So we do think that crisis is that starting point. In a crisis, you can do a lot to begin to stop the bleeding or stop the damage to your reputation. It's difficult to build your reputation truly in a crisis situation. 
what we recommend in a crisis is let's just stick to your knitting and let's focus on a couple of things that really matter. And it's really, really quite simple from our standpoint is the equation for crisis success is speed. Companies have to be fast into the marketplace and fill the vacuum of information when people are criticizing you and you're not meeting their expectations. And the way you do speed is that it's a reverse formula. Speed equals mission and values plus chain of command that yields speed. And so if you have those things, what do you really stand for at the end of the day? And let's not make it up as we go along. Chain of command, both formal and informal, who makes the decisions within your organization. And then that then gives you speed. If you can do that in a crisis, you'll fill the vacuum, you'll move beyond the crisis, you'll identify we screwed up and we're just going to fix it. We apologize that you are misunderstood what we intended or we're in the herd. And there's a lot of thinking that we have around risk that talks about that. So at a minimum, mission and values plus chain of command equals speed. And that's the best way for people to get on a good footing. Then we can go on a reputation management journey. And the last thing that we're talking about, particularly in this season of COVID-19, is always be communicating. ABC. Companies always have to be talking. This is an external threat that everybody's dealing with. So everybody's on a relatively even footing. The strategic risks, the strategic issues are when are we going to decide to come back? The strategic risks are what are we going to do with our employees and the way we furlough or lay them off or manage that situation? Those are strategic risks. So crisis, we put in one bucket and let's manage crisis the way I explained. You need to think about your reputation long-term, but at the end of the day, it's about how do you manage the expectations as you're always communicating. Uh, I love that framework and I can see why speed is so essential in the middle of an escalating crisis because if you're not filling the void, people's ideas and stories are going to fill the story for you. And you see it unfold in the headlines when you're seeing delays and answering. The only example I can think of right now is when I think it's called the Fukushima nuclear power plant that had a tsunami hit it in Japan and we weren't getting any kind of communication coming in of what's going on and the types of stories that came out of it went from there's nothing to it's the end of the Pacific Ocean and so it's really interesting how we will fill the voids of information with our own stories which could take away the whole reputation and what you're saying here is ensuring that obviously the company is clear on their values, their mission, and those are usually the guiding principles that will get the chain of command to understand that if you are firm on those, then everyone can know this is in accordance to our values. Thus, we can move with speed, which is really what's essential in the moment of crisis. Do you have an example of a company that's done this really well that we could see how this comes into play? I think there's a bunch of high reputation firms that just consistently get this right. I think Starbucks consistently gets this right. Starbucks has stubbed their toe recently, particularly in the United States, with some issues related to race and managers in some of their stores, some of their shops. And they've done a really, really good job of we all just intuitively have an expectation of what Starbucks does. And we just think them as a generally good firm, a high reputation firm, whether you like their coffee or not a secondary, but they are generally a high reputation firm. And the way they responded was very, very quickly to these two incidents. And we don't need to go into the details of the incidents, but basically there were some issues around race and managers making bad decisions is they responded really quickly and they got right to the heart of the problem. So I think they are a really good example of it. In a different way is Walmart. Walmart is not necessarily regarded as a high reputation firm, but they are really, really crystal clear 
on responding to those that matter most to them. And they really respond well to their employees. They're doing some amazing things in solar energy. They've been very innovative in this COVID space about spacing and distancing and employee safety relative to germ transmission and in COVID. Walmart, in that context that we were talking about earlier about the perception of reputation, they have a big hill to climb. But they've done some really, really great work. So those two, and then the all-star that really has stumbled once or twice since I've been tracking them is Patagonia. I mean, Patagonia is the the sportswear, the clothing company, well, outdoor gear. They just bang those values that they stand for. They live so true to them. And it just makes decision-making in the context of any crisis or critical moment or misunderstanding. It just makes decision-making so much better. So they personify mission and values, chain of command and speed. That leader is really on top of things. So those are kind of three examples of Walmart being a little contrarian in the mix. I know we're going to jump into these four A's of reputation excellence, but I feel like I want to ask a bit more about this crisis management because I find it so fascinating and powerful of a framework. I was going to say, I have clarity on a company saying that, okay, if I'm clear on my values and my mission. So I really know what I stand for and the values that are important to me. I could see if this is communicated thoroughly through every employee that you could start having an idea of how decisions are made. You could probably populate the employee guidebooks with, okay, here's cases of things that have happened and how we handled it. So it starts giving you the kind of ethos of how you should respond to certain cases based on certain things that could happen. I get that. Now, when you talk about the chain of command, What are the things we need to know here and what are the blunders that typically happen if you don't have that piece in place? So it's been my experience for doing this for quite a long time now is that there is typically a formal and an informal chain of command within every organization. Is that for a true issue that gets the CEO's attention and becomes, you know, number one with a bullet on their agenda for that day or week, is that there are three to five people that are the core decision makers, the kitchen cabinet that that leader depends on. Now, sometimes it's the formal org chart. It's his or her direct reports, the general counsel, the head of operations, maybe somebody in risk or something You know, that's pretty clear. That's kind of a formal process. But there are a lot of CEOs that are using coaches now. There are a lot of CEOs that depend on outside counsel, McKenzie or Bain or legal counsel. There are a lot of CEOs that have a very unique relationship, positive or negative, with their board and board chair. And so when we find ourselves in these true crisis situations, is that I want to have illumination on that informal decision-making structure before we get too deep into the process because what we've often found is that if the head of communications or head of marketing, depending on how an organization is designed, thinks they've got it on the formal chart, they've got a straight line to the CEO. But when it really hits the fan is that we find out that the head of communications is not regarded as a chief strategic asset. And this really then becomes an operational legal management structure Those are things about chain of command. So I'm agnostic to that. I'm a firefighter. I come running in and offer my best advice and perspective, but I very quickly have to figure out that informal chain of command of how CEOs are making decisions, where they're taking counsel, and not solely dependent on what the org chart says. That's really interesting. And so are you saying that the informal structure is something that gets in the way of effectiveness for the organization? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah? 
So in essence, whenever there's these outside consultants who are basically inferring the fact that, oh, the CEO will not go ahead with the plan that, for example, the communications person has delivered, knowing the values and the mission, they're like, this is our course of action. The CEO would hesitate and go to an outsider consultant and override the person's plan, which could cause delays, which again affects the speed, which then creates a lot more chaos in the reputation, or at least the chaos crisis management process. Right. It's not universal. And I, as I said, I'm agnostic. I don't care what an organization does and sort of however they decide that they want to do that. If that's the process, that's fine. Let's just label it. Let's just own it and know what that is going in. Is that a good CEO will actually, and you had a guest recently that talked about this, there are wartime CEOs and peacetime CEOs. Is it a good wartime CEO will actually say, okay, the head of communications is really good when we've got a new store to open in Detroit, but in this situation, they're probably not. So when at war, I'm probably going to go around the first division and I'm going to go seek counsel in a different place. I believe just label it and let everybody know it going in because back to that formulation, that's where it gets bumpy is that, but I'm the head of communications. I'm supposed to be in charge and someone should probably tell me that I'm not in charge. So again, it's just having honest conversations and laying out the informality, making it more formal and communicated. So then you can move with more speed. Chain of command has been laid out. The values are still there. This makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clarifying that, Bill. I think for everybody listening, they're probably thinking of a lot of examples in their own organization when they've seen this break in the chain of command and how the result was because it wasn't clearly stated. Now, it sounds like it actually ties into your four A's reputation excellence framework because, again, it's about bringing awareness to the breaks in chain of command. But as we pivot here into looking at the reputation management side, can you walk us through these four A's and how does a company become conscious about managing their reputation? You know, the four A's are really just a simple model so that someone can actually manage and allocate, you know, make someone responsible for it and then put some budget behind it. And so the four A's begin with this fundamental foundational level which is around awareness, self-awareness around the individual, self-awareness around the corporation directly relates to mission and values. Sort of what do we stand for? Who are we just in our own right? Where are we from an awareness standpoint? And there's a number of tools and steps that we can go in in order to articulate that. The next step is assessment. And that's just good old fashioned research. That's asking those that matter most to you. Some people call them stakeholders. I call them those that matter most, less jargon. And is that really asking those that matter most, what do they expect of you? What do they want you to do? Too many companies get hung up on the issue of the day of LBGTQ issues or global warming or whatever the issue is. And those are all very important issues. And I think companies should have an opinion on them. But I don't know if every company needs to be out front on those. And if you're a highly sophisticated manufacturing company that makes widgets and you are really good at it, I'm not sure if you need to have a really strong opinion on that. If you're the Gap or McDonald's or Ford or big global brands, you probably do. That all becomes in that you learn that in that assessment phase. What do you, those that matter most to me, what do you expect from me? Third A is this notion of authority. And authority is we've learned this about ourselves. We've learned this about those that we serve and their expectations of us. Can we, the organization, can we actually walk that walk? 
It's easy to talk the talk, and that's where authority comes in. Can we actually really, really do that? The things that, A, we know about ourselves, and B, we've learned about what people expect of us. So that's where authority comes in. And so authority is where that's allocation of budget, that's allocation of mind share, but it's also really just making sure that your board and your senior leadership is bought in. On the model, there's a cute element of it. If you'll see the, the visualization, there's a solid blue line between those bottom three and the pinnacle, which is this notion of action. And that blue line is a barrier for well-intentioned consultants and well-intentioned people within your PR department that automatically jump to action of let's get on, you know, let's figure out global warming, let's save the baby seal, let's do whatever the cause celeb issue is to grow our reputation. That blue line is an intentionally a barrier is that you cannot figure out how to do action or what we call leadership marketing unless you've gone through this journey. The human parallel is I lived overseas for a while and was friend with a, a Marine that protected the embassy, the American embassy. And we were having beers one night on a Friday night, a week before a marathon, eight days later. And he said, jump to action. He said, oh, I can run that marathon. He had done no awareness, no assessment, and his body really didn't give him the authority to go run a marathon. And so that's a very similar, it's a human dynamic component, but we can't just jump to action. And it's a challenge. Because as entrepreneurs, we're on so many podcasts and leaders said, you know, let's just move, 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 move fast, action, action, action. I don't believe reputation works that way. I think you have to go through this corporate development or human development component to truly make the action meaningful. That's really powerful of a framework. And I love how it actually is very similar to the types of frameworks people would go through as they go on a personal development journey which is that you feel like you need to skip to the action, yet there's so much more groundwork that needs to happen under the surface. And I feel like I've witnessed possibly organizations that have done this and it usually kind of fails for them sometimes. And I don't know why, but the example that comes to mind is just like, you know, I remember back in the nineties, it was around manufacturing overseas and slave labor. And this was a big issue. And then it seemed like everybody just put on a patchwork type of, solution was just like, oh, we're going to donate or we're going to deny it. And it seems like there wasn't any of those first steps. Are there any more recent examples of when somebody's followed these steps well or has followed them not so well? Yeah, you know, that's a really good one because that was a big global initiative and particularly retail manufacturers, you know, Target, The Gap, you name it, the limited big American brands and global brands, you know, really leaned in on that. I think global warming and aspects of global warming, you know, I don't think global warming is one monolithic idea, but I think net zero, carbon zero, I think that has the potential to be one that everybody's just going to run on and run into doing that and do trade-offs for their flights and things like that. So I think that's one where people are just going to jump in. And I think those that care about issues like that or even more controversial issues. We've seen it on like LBGTQ issues. I don't believe that's a truly a controversial issue, but there are some folks that are laggards on that issue. Is that just jumping to a solution is rarely a good idea. And most people that care about those issues, they know the people that are truly in it versus those that are just sort of, you know, looking for the photo bomb to make them feel good. And that's the real challenge for companies is to not fall prey to that sugar high. It sounds like it's way easier to get away with not doing the hard work in so many other departments in the company. But for reputation management, there seems to be just a longer tail lingering of consequences when you don't do the groundwork. Because 
people remember. Like I recently read a book, Shoe Dog, actually, the Nike story with Phil Knight. Brilliant book. And when I started researching, I realized, wow, Nike does a lot of initiatives around ensuring that their manufacturing is always pushing the standards of human well-being. I would not think that and I did not have that image in my head until I went deep into reading the book, which the majority of people don't do. I think there's still an association with Nike equals slave labor for shoes. And as much as they've been working years to try to correct that, and maybe there was even some misunderstanding, but you're, you're talking here about possibly the lack of mission, vision, and values that we talked earlier in the moment of crisis when that issue did come up, possibly a lack of chain of command to react to it and really say what they were doing. I think we all created a space which is still lingering almost 20 years later. And so I think this is where reputation management almost becomes that true testament to consistency in pushing yourself as an organization to do what you say and say what you do in a more effective way. Absolutely. And I think that one of the new concepts that we're exploring is that you have to give your reputation a job. Okay. Why do I want to go on a reputation management journey? What is its job? And so again, if you take that same model, litigation, HR, janitorial, everything's got a model. They all have a job. They all have a purpose, right? And so if you give reputation a job, and so let's just use the Nike example, the job of the work that they are doing is to make sure that when folks that really care about that issue pull back the curtain and look inside, they'll say, oh, I didn't know you guys were doing that. So they haven't put a bunch of brand boosting and haven't put a bunch of advertising to convince, if you read the book six months ago, they haven't spent a lot of time to the Jason 12 months ago. They want to convince you when you pull back the curtain. So that bit of their reputation, its job was to do the right thing when people come looking, as opposed to some companies that do the right thing. We're seeing it so much now in COVID that are really doing good things, but they want everybody to know. So they've got time. I don't know if you're seeing it over there and and where you are, but there's tons of advertising about how great, how great am I and how, how amazing we are and what we're doing, how wonderful. So if you give your reputation a job, you can then see if it works or not, just like anybody else that has a job. Are you doing the job or you're not doing the job? And that's what Nike did. And that's a special, special example. So I'm really fortunate you pulled that one out. But we're seeing a lot of other companies that gave their reputation a different job. Bill, this was such a powerful conversation. I feel like you are such a wealth of information here. For everybody listening, I would highly encourage you to pick up the book of Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. Look into Bill Coletti's work. He is a master when it comes to doing this. And just listening to you, I thought I was going to get a lot of information when it comes to reputation management, but we also dive into crisis response with that beautiful formula around speed being so important in the moments of crisis. Get clear on the mission, get clear on the values, and ensure the chain of command is being transparent to everyone within the organization so you can move with speed, which is so important when you're in a moment of crisis. Right now with the COVID-19, you want to be able to communicate, communicate, over-communicate, as Bill said. So speak with your employees, speak with your stakeholders, speak with everyone who is impacted. And with that, you're going to be able to come with a consistent message because you've went ahead and followed the four A's framework. So you want to make sure you have awareness of yourself. You do an assessment of your reputation externally. Make sure that you have the authority to speak on this issue if you want to and that you're ready to put the work in place before you move to action. 
action is the shiny carrot that people are grabbing for. But the thing with reputation is people usually can smell it from a mile away. And if you decide to step in the wrong direction and being inconsistent with what you preach, it can leave a stain that lasts longer than doing a small mistake in another department, such as jumping on a podcast because it was out effective and you're like, oh, I just didn't get the traffic or the marketing I was expecting or running a campaign. These have very short-term consequences, but reputation stays with you. So manage it properly. Follow the steps that we talked about here. And in the moment of crisis, ensure that your chain of command is clear. Make sure you take the time to get more clear on your values and mission. You'll see your speed will come naturally. And Bill has walked us through such a powerful framework to do so. I'm going to be taking this episode to the entire team. I think you should do the same if you're listening to this now. Bill, thanks again for coming on the show. Jason, thank you. And thank you for what you do. The way you unpack ideas is really, really valuable. And so thank you for that and keep doing the great work. It's it's much appreciated from out here. So thank you. Take care, Bill. Take care, everybody, for listening as well. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.